Welcome to our fourth Universalist service video. My name is Katie Garcia and I'm the youth group teacher here at Fourth Universalist. I use she, her pronouns and I thank you so much for joining us. What follows are selections from our service on February 6th, 2022. In this video, you will hear the reading and reflection from this service. Following that, we hope you will join us for a lively discussion where our worship leader, Reverend Mark Catolo and I dive deeper into the service theme together. We invite you to check out our video and audio podcast each week, which can be found on our website, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, and on all your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to give us a positive review, to like, to comment, to share and subscribe, to help further spread Fourth Universalist message. Finally, we acknowledge that our community is located on the land of the Menonce Lenape peoples. Through this acknowledgement, we seek to continue the process of working to dismantle the ongoing legacies of oppression. We invite you to join us in this work as well as we embrace the eighth UU principle. Thank you again for watching. We begin with our reading. reading from the second chapter of the second book of Chronicles. King Solomon decided to build and also to build a palace for himself. Solomon sent a message to King Hiram of Tyre. Do business with me as you did with my father, King David, when you sold him cedar logs for building his palace. I am building a temple. It will be a holy place where my people and I will worship by burning incense of fragrant spices, where we, will be where, we, where we will present offerings of sacred bread and where we will offer burnt offerings every morning and evening, as well as on Sabbaths, new moon festivals and other holidays. Send me a man with a skill in engraving, in working gold, silver, bronze and iron and in making blue, purple and red cloth. I know how skillful your numbermen are so send me cedar, cypress, and juniper logs from Lebanon. King Hiram sent Solomon a letter in reply. He wrote, I am sending you a wise and skillful master metalworker named Huram. His mother was a member of the tribe of his dad and his father was a native of Tyre. He knows how to make things out of gold, silver, bronze, iron, stone, and wood. He can work with blue, purple, and red cloth and with linen. He can do all sorts of engraving and can follow any design suggested to him. Let him work with your skilled workers and with those who worked for your father, King David. In the mountains of Lebanon, we will cut down all the cedars you need, tie them together in rafts and float them by sea as far as Jaffa. From there, you can take them to Jerusalem. Here ends the reading. Art is a controversial subject in some ways. 
If you ask a group of people what defines good art, you'll get varying answers. For some people, good art is defined by the classics, a Greco-Roman statue, or perhaps a Renaissance masterpiece by Leonardo da Vinci, or maybe an impressionist composition by Claude Monet, or perhaps an expressionist drawing by Pablo Picasso. Other people might value the art created by people who wouldn't even consider themselves artists. For example, homemade carved figurines or artisanal pottery or quilts or carousel horses or Afghan blankets or handmade jewelry. Human beings value creativity and have done so since the earliest humans painted images of chasing animals on cave walls 44,000 years ago. Whether it's by a master or an amateur, an appreciation of creativity is considered a desirable quality in human cultures. We teach children about art and great artists and consider those who know a lot about art to be refined and sophisticated. Living in an area or neighborhood where artistic institutions, public art and artists abound is considered a desirable trait from a real estate perspective. And the work of a talented artist can be considered a good investment financially. Nevertheless, at the same time, Many parents wouldn't be thrilled with the prospect of a child studying art in college, since there's no guarantee that the student's art will be valued financially in that person's lifetime, if ever. And furthermore, there are many people who consider art lovers to be snobs and elitists. All of which is to say, the ways in which we both elevate and denigrate the subject indicates that we have quite a complicated relationship with the visual arts. As a preacher, what I find interesting is that in some ways, art is a lot like spirituality, which is to say it's a bit hard to define precisely, but you know it when you observe it or experience it. And also the source of it is somewhat difficult to describe. Art, like spirituality, is something which one can appreciate, cultivate, study, and practice. And yet, it seems to take more than just technical repetition to get right. There has to be a spark of inspiration there, as any artist or guru will tell you. Besides the spark of creativity which connects art and religion, there is also the fact that human beings have used art to elevate our religious experiences for as long as anyone can document. Looking back to our planet's ancient civilizations, much of the greatest art had a religious function. I think of the calligraphy and pagodas designed in ancient China, the great pyramids of ancient Egypt and Mexico, the intricate bas-reliefs of the gods in ancient India, the mythological figures painted on ancient Greek pottery, and the sculptures of deified emperors in ancient Rome. The reading we heard from the second book of Chronicles, which was likely to have been written in the fifth century before Christ, describes how the ancient Israelite King Solomon, famed for both his wisdom 
and wealth, desire to build a temple. And not just any ordinary one, but one which would display the skills of the best artisans of his time, using the best metals, woods, fabrics, and colors to give honor to the God of Israel. Moving forward in time, much of the pre-modern art we revere also has a religious nature. To this day, when people travel abroad, part of the agenda often includes seeing historical and beautifully designed stained glass windows, icons, paintings, statues, altar pieces, basilicas, cathedrals, abbeys, temples, and mosques, all dedicated to the glory of the Almighty. In our modern era, while most visual art is centered around imaging the human form, the natural landscape, or abstract concepts, it's still true that one of the biggest patrons of the visual and musical arts are houses of worship. As an example, just last year, it was announced publicly that the Washington National Cathedral in Washington, DC, commissioned the contemporary artist, Carrie James Marshall, to design a new stained glass window to replace one which was removed in 2017, which had depicted and valorized the lives of Confederate generals and soldiers. The cathedral hopes that the new window will capture both darkness and light, both the pain of yesterday and the promise of tomorrow, as well as the quiet and exemplary dignity of the African-American struggle for justice and equality and the indelible and progressive impact it has had on American society. While I've been describing art and aesthetics in a general sense thus far, I now want to focus on a particular artist and how that artist's creative output has contributed to both American life and religious life. I'm sure all of you are familiar with the name Louis Comfort Tiffany. Tiffany was born in 1848 in Manhattan and was buried in 1933 in Brooklyn. His father founded the famous luxury jewelry store Tiffany and Company and Louis Tiffany would go on to have many more accomplishments in his own right beyond the legacy his father started. Tiffany is known for working in the Art Nouveau style, especially using the medium of stained glass. While he's well known for his lamps, as well as his ceramics, jewelry, enamels, and metalwork, what I want to focus on today are his stained glass windows and mosaics. I don't know how many churches in our country have artwork by Tiffany, but it was quite popular in the late 19th century for newly wealthy Americans in cities and towns across the Northeast to sponsor Tiffany windows in the local churches. And since then, his masterpieces have inspired countless souls with the exalted designs he created. This morning, I'm going to discuss three pieces by Tiffany, an altar, a stained glass window, and a mosaic, all three of which have a Unitarian Universalist connection. Now, since we are online, I'm going to uh, paste in the chat uh, for each of the three pieces I discussed, a link which you can click on to see the piece of art which I'm describing. So just a moment, I'm going to paste a link uh, to a Wikipedia image 
uh, there we go, that hopefully you can all see. And of course, if you're on the phone, um, you know, you can just hear me describe the piece. So the first piece I'd like to share with you is from our own church. You may or may not have known this, but the communion table in our chancel was designed by Tiffany and paid for by members of the congregation as a gift to the church when the building was constructed in 1898. The table is composed of colored marble and glass mosaic. If you look closely at the image, you'll notice that around the perimeter are a dozen shields with a blue background. These shields contain superbly designed symbols of Jesus's apostles, who are often represented either by the method of their martyrdom or by something else related to their life. If you look at the image on the far left-hand side of the table in the middle, you'll see a shield with a cross in the middle. This image represents St. Philip, who according to legend was crucified sideways. Above that, on the upper left-hand corner, you'll see a chalice with a serpent in it. This represents St. John and the Christian faith prevailing over death. Next to that, you'll see a series of three scallop shells. This represents St. James the Great, who was a fisherman, and each shell represents courage, strength, and hope. If you ever walk the Camino de Santiago in Spain, you'll see the imagery of the scallop shell along the way there too. Next to that, you'll see an image of a cross in the shape of an X. This represents St. Andrew, who according to medieval legend was crucified on a cross of this shape. Then if you continue to the right, to the second to last shield on the upper tier, you'll see an image of a purse. The purse represents St. Matthew, who worked as a tax collector before becoming an apostle. Next to that on the right, you'll see an image of a club or a bat. This represents St. James the Lesser, who according to legend was martyred by being beaten to death with a club. Underneath that, you'll see an image of an axe blade. This represents the martyrdom of St. Matthias, who was the apostle who replaced the traitorous Judas Iscariot after his suicide. Finally, the last shield on the bottom of the right-hand side of the table is an image of a saw, which represents St. Simon, who is said to have been martyred by being sawed in half. One day, when we're physically back in our church, if you get a chance, I hope you'll take a moment to get a closer look at this marvelous piece of art, which has inspired generations of attendees of our church. I'll also add as a side note, uh, if you go to the Brooklyn Museum uh, these days, there's a wonderful exhibition of art by Andy Warhol, specifically uh, focusing on sacred art that he made. Uh, Andy Warhol was actually a very devout Catholic. Um, and as you enter the gallery, you'll see an image of icons taken from his home church in Pennsylvania where he grew up. And what's interesting about that is you'll see a lot of the same iconography I just described from our altar shown in the uh, icons from Andy Warhol's home church. For example, the chalice with the serpent in it, the uh, cross of St. Andrew, et cetera, et cetera. So if you get a chance to go to Brooklyn, I highly recommend it. 
The next piece I'm going to describe is actually also found at the Brooklyn Museum of Art. I'm going to in the chat now the link to that image. There you are. So the next piece I'm showing you is a stained glass window titled Dawn in the Woods in Springtime and Sunset in Autumn Woods. So it's a two-part piece. As with the previous piece, you'll notice the brilliant range of colors which were created through experiments Tiffany and his workers did in which they mixed various metal oxides into the glass and then heated the glass in newly designed and built ovens. This particular window was originally made in 1905 for the Universalist Church of Our Father at the corner of Classen and Atlantic Avenues in Brooklyn. Then in 1945, after that previous congregation closed, the windows were purchased by the All Souls Universalist Church on Ocean Avenue in Brooklyn and installed in its sanctuary where they remained until it was donated to the Brooklyn Museum in 1999 when that congregation sold its building and merged with two other Brooklyn churches. As you can see, the window is a realistic representation of two rustic landscapes using the inherent properties of translucent colored glass to capture the subtle effects of changing light at dawn and dusk. As with the previous piece we saw, uh, this window might not be, well, this window uh, may not be considered conventionally religious. However, for the universalist who commissioned this piece, the scenes of nature which are depicted were viewed as representing the majesty of God's creation. In addition, the scene shows dawn and springtime on the left panel and then sunset and autumn on the right panel. Together, they are an allegory of the cycle of life and the passage of time, all of which are legitimate subjects of religious concern and meditation. So while the previous piece, The Altar from Fourth You, in a way is, is a very traditional artwork, this piece uh, may not strike someone as being traditionally religious, but in fact, uh, it can be considered that way. So now I'm going to share a link to the last piece of art I'm going to share, you, share with you. There you are. So the final piece I'm sharing with you today is a mosaic designed by Tiffany in 1915 titled The Angel of Light. This mosaic, which measures eight feet by 14 feet, can be found in the historic Gothic Revival Sanctuary of the First Unitarian Congregational Society of Brooklyn. If you enter the church, you can find this glimmering angel high on the wall to the left side of the chancel, above the gallery seating. According to the church's records, this mosaic survived a disastrous fire in 1919 at its original home in Manhattan's Unitarian Church of the Messiah, which you may now know as Community Church of New York. After being salvaged from the wreck of its original home, it was eventually installed in First Unitarian's building in 1935. After the Brooklyn congregation purchased it, Julita Jones Parker, who had originally commissioned the mosaic as a memorial to her beloved late husband, James Henry Parker, paid to have Tiffany Studios adapt and install the mosaic in its new home. 
If you were to visit the church in Brooklyn and look up at the work from the ground floor, you could easily mistake the angel of light for a painting. But once you climb the stairs to the balcony and view the piece up close, you can see the mosaic's rich details. The luminous patchwork of glass tiles in a kaleidoscope of colors, textures, and opacities. It's truly a heavenly sight and reveals not just Tiffany's mastery in a variety of mediums other than stained glass windows and lamps, but also denotes a sense of transcendence and wonder. In conclusion, at Fourth Universalist Society, we're fortunate to be able to worship on Sunday mornings in a magnificent and inspiring building whose soaring stone walls have absorbed the laughter and tears of generations of worshipers. While I've heard many opinions over the years about the style of art in our building, and while it's true that if we were to build a new church building, it would likely look quite different, nevertheless, the art, Gothic architecture, color, and geometry seen in our church contributes to a sense of the sublime, which in our disenchanted world is difficult to experience elsewhere. And that, I think, is one of the purposes of art, sacred or otherwise. Art, like spirituality, can open our mind's eye to the greatness, excellence, and virtue which are all around us, but which we too often overlook. Whether we be holding the grandeur of the creations of our greatest artists or the works of the author of creation, may we always be blessed in our acknowledging of the beauty around us. Thank you. Reverend Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, especially after giving such a wonderful uh, sermon. Before we get started, for those few out there who don't already know who you are, would you mind introducing yourself and sharing your pronouns? For anyone who doesn't know me already, um, I'm the Reverend Mark Rotolo. I'm a, normally an affiliate community minister at Fourth U, uh, but now I'm the family covering the covering family leave minister uh, together with Dr. Leonisa. Um, and I've been at Fourth U since 2016. I'm also a social worker. Um, I'm passionate about um, art, which is, you know, the topic about today, and religion, and how those two things go together. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation together and seeing what we come up with. Ah, well, thank you for that, Mark. And you and you already hit on the first thing I was going to ask you about, which is, why did you choose this sermon topic? Why did you want to talk about art? Yeah, you know, um, I, the reason I picked it, well, the original, original reason why I picked this topic is um, last year I took a visit to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and I saw a beautiful um, piece that I'd never seen before there. Um, I'm sure it was there, I just didn't see it. And it was a stained glass window by uh, Tiffany, a Tiffany stained glass window. And um, my recollection of, I think the piece is called Magnolia and Iris or Irises. And um, it caught my attention and I was reading about it and the piece that the curator wrote next to the window um, talked about how um, the kind of spiritual naturalism that Tiffany used to, to make this window 
uh, that inspired, I mean, uh, the artwork. And I think that the piece was originally, if I'm not mistaken, uh, maybe like in a, in a mausoleum or in a cemetery and how the person, uh, the patron who uh, commissioned the piece uh, wanted something that was spiritual, but maybe not in a traditional way. And that's how this piece came about. So anyway, just, you know, seeing this piece of art, it just kind of, um, kind of set off a light bulb in my mind that, oh, this is something that, you know, of course, um, you know, uh, artists have, um, you know, done religious pieces of art all throughout history, but here maybe it was like a different angle towards it. And so I said, you know, there's something worth investigating here. Let's, let's talk about it. Uh, that's, that's so interesting. And you highlighted uh, Louis Comfort Tiffany and you, and you shook his three pieces of art in particular, one of which resides in our physical congregation. And I wish we had physically been able to be there where you could point it out. Um, Same. Same. When I, you know, when I was uh, thinking about doing the sermon, I imagined that, you know, we would be in the building, but of course, you know, circumstances changed, but such as it is. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, I think, I think I now know part of the answer because it was, it was Tiffany's work that initially gave you the inspiration for the service, but why was it important to lift up those three pieces in particular? Yeah. So, um, Religious, I wanted to, you know, talk about religious art in general, but then I also wanted to talk about how that connects with Unitarian Universalism. We are a very um, diverse religion, diverse in the sense of that we all have different beliefs about very important things. And um, it's very challenging, as you can imagine, if you're, let's say you were building a new Unitarian Universalist church this year what kind of art would, if any, would you have in it? And what would it look like? It might be actually really challenging to, to find art that would speak to our values and speak to um, also like what people find inspiring. Um, and so I thought, well, let's go back in time a little bit and see what kinds of examples, uh, you know, I could find of religious art but in a Unitarian Universalist American context. And that's how I came up with uh, the three examples I came up with. And it just so happened that they were all by Tiffany. Um, and it just so happened that one of them has, happens to be at our own congregation. So that's why I decided to, to pick this artist and, and these particular contexts. Um, you know, we sometimes, you know, with art, it's very easy to take it for granted. You know, how many times have we all passed by, our, you know, the altar and not realizing that it's literally like a museum quality masterpiece. We just take it for granted and that's normal, right? You know, because we, we're used to it, we see it all the time versus someone maybe who is a first time visitor would uh, be very impressed by it. So I'm also interested in highlighting things that, you know, we, probably see in our everyday lives, but we don't really maybe take a minute to really fully appreciate what we're seeing in front of us. That's such an important point. And so for regular watchers and listeners, I'm filling in, I'm not, normally not doing this, but I was so excited to be able to record this with you because my mother is a professional visual artist. And so I grew up surrounded by artists. I, I spent a lot of time uh, in my childhood in museums and galleries. My mother actually was an arts educator um, at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So I was so surrounded by art for so long that as I was reflecting on, on today's sermon, I really appreciate how much I took for granted as a young person being so surrounded by incredible art and incredible artists, because I was a kid, I didn't totally understand what I was seeing or the significance of it. Now, as an adult, I can appreciate just the, the privilege it was to be able to be exposed to so much 
incredible art from so many different artists all over the country. And, and you know, to that, that thing that we take for granted about art, there was something that, that you noted that was really interesting, this way in which we kind of have a complicated relationship with visual art itself. I think you used the phrase, we elevated and denigrated at the same time. Yes. yes. Why do you think we have such a complicated relationship with visual art? Well, part of it is because it's such a subject, like religion, it's very subjective. You know, your belief system may, might make perfect sense to you. And when I hear it, it may sound totally bizarre. And my belief system may make perfect sense to me. But if I were to tell it to you, you might find it completely strange. And art is the same thing. Someone can look at a piece of art and say, this is a masterpiece. And then someone else may look at the same piece of art and say, oh, I could do that. That's nothing. That's, you know, my, my six-year-old could do something better, right? How, how often have we heard that, especially about contemporary art? So I think it's contentious because it's, we don't agree on what is good art. Um, you know, we have the benefits of, you know, curators and professors and, you know, senior artists who can kind of guide our uh, experience and, and help us know what is considered good art or not good art. Um, but it's such a subjective experience. And so I think that's, again, I think that's why it's contentious. We, we don't agree about what is good art. And, you know, truth be told, like the pieces of art that, you know, I'm highlighting today, um, I think they're magnificent, but someone else could look at them and, you know, be very critical about them and say, well, I, you know, I don't think this is particularly good, or I don't think this is particularly inspiring, or I don't think this type of, you know, art should, you know, be in our church buildings um, or in a museum, maybe belongs in the dustbin of history, someone might say. I would disagree with that, but I just recognize that um, there's, there's not necessarily agreement about, about these things, about the value of art or which art we should value. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. And, and I smile because I hearken back to art I've experienced over time in some of those museums where I wondered those same things uh, in terms of why, why did you create this? Um, <laughs> but but it, it's interesting, the, the comparison, the relationship between religion and art, as you noted, art has played such a role in religion in really showcasing these different belief systems and elevating them and making a part of public life. And, and you kind of gave one really interesting example through the reading today, which was from the second book of Chronicles and King Solomon building the temple. Why did you choose that reading? Yeah, you know, I, I thought about it. I was originally going to pick that reading and then I changed my mind and I was going to pick another reading actually a reading um, from our hymnal uh, from the back of the hymnal by Walt Whitman uh, that talks about beauty and then I decided to go back to my original uh, choice of a reading and the reason why is that I just wanted to um, highlight very specifically about how religion and art have been intertwined for thousands of years. And so that's why I wanted to go back to, you know, use a reading that's, you know, between two and 3,000 years old to show that um, people from many cultures, from many time periods have, uh, have celebrated this connection between religion and art. You know, uh, the ancient Israelites uh, were also concerned about having a beautiful worship space that would glorify their God. Um, and so it's through the use of colors, 
textures, textiles, um, and, you know, finding like the best of the best, you know, importing cedar wood and, um, you know, getting the best uh, uh, artist or, or artisan to to create the work, not just, you know, any old person, but, you know, someone who's really talented. And, and that's why I wanted to highlight that, you know, this connection has been happening for thousands of years, and it's part of our part of our heritage. And that's why we, you know, to this day value having quality art in our uh, in our spaces. That's one of the ways that we show this is this is a sacred space. This is an important space. You know why? Because we we put you know not just anything you know some some piece of art that costs a dollar or something, but you know we want to invest in something that's going to uh, appreciate in value and that people will admire and that will stand the test of time that you know hopefully future generations will also appreciate this. So that that's why I picked that reading. Mm. And and again, you know, we're we're doing this online, but if if this had been in person, it would have been in this beautiful cathedral-like space that is our congregation that we're so blessed to be in, where every single piece of it, you immediately feel the difference when you walk in the door. You you see the beautiful mosaic, you see the stained glass, the Gothic architecture, you see that that uh, the the table and the altar, and there's something that's that just brings you into the space with the holy and it's such a unique thing that art can do for us. So yeah. I, I know you noted that that you have a, have a real love of art. What role has art played in your life personally? Well, you know, it's something that I've always appreciated. It's something that's important to me. It's something that I value. And it's something that, um, in relation to specifically about you know religion, I think it helps me to to know that I'm in a sacred space. So by which I mean, it doesn't necessarily matter what the art is. So for example, Fourth Universalist Society is is if you go to the church for those who haven't been, it's built in a neo Gothic style, and there's a very specific. Um, register that that you see when, when you're there you know it was based off of a you know a medieval English particular style um, but that's not to say that that's like the only style of art that is elevating or sacred um, there are many Unitarian Universalist churches for example where it's um, very iconoclastic the walls are kind of like my walls here plain and white and bare and um, you know there's some decoration here and there but it's it's very minimal um, or, you know, modern spaces that, you know, have different uh, types of geometry and style and, and art. And I guess what I'm saying is, um, through the years, I've been able to kind of expand my own sense of what is beautiful art and what is sacred art. And um, I think it's just amazing that we as human beings can inspire ourselves and inspire one another through art like it's not just um words like words are important and i appreciate the literary arts and we you know as you use we tend to be very wordy we like words we value words we you know the sermon is the most important part of our service um, we talk a lot uh but uh also there's this other component uh you know the you know drawings and paintings and geometry and architecture and that those um those are able to express in a nonverbal way and i and i appreciate that you know maybe it's the whole left brain right brain thing i don't know but just to say that there's um there's many ways to be inspired 
art, music, poetry, literature, uh, et cetera, et cetera, theater, dance, right? All of it, all of it, all of our creativity uh, contributes to our sense of inspiration. So that's why art is important to me. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. You know, as, as again, as, as I was thinking on, on your sermon and reflecting, you know, one of the things I was struck by is when we look at religious professionals like yourself, we talk about this call to ministry, this call to, to serve in some way. And having witnessed more than one visual artist journey, there's also this call there. There's this call to say something or to showcase something through art that is something larger than yourself. It's not just because you like it, but you're trying to get a message across. And you know that you're never go that, you know, the likelihood that you're going to become incredibly famous and well-known and uh, earn a lot of money is just not realistic for most visual artists that you're never gonna get the same return on investment that you put into studying your craft and creating something, but it's the doing of the thing that makes it worthwhile. There's something really interesting in that, in that relationship. There's this, the call to give something back to, as you noted, inspire people to think differently, to create different kinds of spaces. Um, so, so there's something kind of another interesting connection there. This leads me to ask, Mark, are you an artist? <laughs> um, no, I, I, I don't identify as an artist, but I do identify as someone who appreciates art in all its forms. Um, and, you know, I think what you were just saying to just now, I think in some ways you might have answered your own question from earlier about why are we also so ambivalent about, about mm -hmm. art, right? On the one hand, we treasure it for all the reasons you just listed and, and how important it is. And at the same time, we denigrate art because we we don't know how or maybe it's not possible to give artists who, you know, living artists, right, uh, the recognition that they maybe deserve or need. Um, and which is why, you know, parents, you know, who find out, you know, their child is, is going to study one of the creative arts, you know, they're like, well, okay, on the one hand, that might be really beautiful and lovely. And yes, we need artists. We don't want to live in a world with no art. On the other hand, you know, do you really want to, you know, do, how do I feel about my child uh, committing, committing to this, you know, profession that, um, may not be lucrative, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's like, on the one hand, we want to have art and, and artists and we value that and we want to be around it. On the other hand, it's like, we don't want it like in our family or we don't want it, you know, yeah. it, it, it's complicated, it's complicated. It is, and, and uh, you know, as, as, as you know, I, I, beyond my day job, train as a professional dancer, want to make that my full-time career. And there have been some really interesting conversations I've had with my mother, the professional artist, um, who's noted maybe maybe that's not the right choice. Maybe you want to do something that's going to you know be a little bit more stable, especially given with that you know with dance, there is a very specific time limit on how long you can do it. And I yeah. know that so much of that has to do with her own experience of the struggle of of having to create art. And and she's now in her late sixties, and she's been doing it for such a long time. It's only now that it's actually picking up steam after. 40 plus years of, of training and creation uh, of so many incredible pieces. Um, it, it, is, it is a really interesting uh, relationship that we have. So Mark. Yes. Favorite artist. Oh, goodness. 
Um, you know what? Um, I'm gonna say Marc Chagall. I've always been fascinated with his art. I love how he is, uh, he's not a contemporary artist, but he is a modern artist. And I appreciate how he um, uses his um, ethnic and religious tradition in Judaism to inspire his work. Uh, and I've you know, seen some of his pieces, not only in museums, but also in uh, churches, cathedrals. Uh, and I just love his use of color. I love his use of theme and story. And so um, off the top of my head, I'm gonna vote for Marc Chagall. Great choice. <laughs> Great choice. Thank you. So for those who listen to the service live or who are listening or watching the, the sermon and the reading now, what do you hope people walk away from the service thinking or doing differently? Well, you know what? Maybe it's just to take a moment and just appreciate what you see in front of you. Mm. Whether you're at Fourth U, you know, one day, you know, right now we're meeting online, but, you know, eventually soon we're going to be hybrid again. Um, you know, when you're at Fourth U, just take a moment and appreciate what you see around you. And not just when you're at Fourth U, but when you're out and about, you know, think about the artistry that's in creation and in, in nature, right? Which is one of the biggest inspirations for artists. Um, think about how beautiful, uh, I just admire it, uh, the beauty of a tree branch or a, or a budding flower or a blade of grass. I think that's one of the amazing things that um, artists and poets and prophets all have to offer us is that they bring to our attention the things that we see maybe all the time, but we don't really see it. So if we can do that just a little bit more, I think that would be amazing. I, I agree. I think that's a wonderful takeaway and it's certainly something I'm gonna be taking with me into this week. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and for such a beautiful and important sermon today. Absolutely. And I wanna yeah, thank everyone for listening and watching. Until next time. <laughs>